If you're looking for a partner to help you with marketing, I highly recommend you reach out to Andrew Lowen at Next Level Web. In the last year, Andrew and his company have helped board game creators raise more than $2 million on Kickstarter, and 91% of those campaigns funded in the first 24 hours, and 74% of those campaigns were from first-time creators. They have a system that works and offer solutions ranging from helping you build ads for your project all the way to fully managing your marketing campaign. So if you're looking for a reliable marketing partner for your upcoming campaign, visit nextlevelweb.com kickstarter and fill out a contact form. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, we're talking about crowdfunding. We're talking about why you should and maybe why you shouldn't. And we're talking to Laura Hoffman, the COO of Game on Tabletop, a crowdfunding platform and website. Laura, welcome to the show. Hi, Gabe. Thank you for having me. Hi to all the listeners out there. Uh, yeah, really a pleasure to be here and to talk about crowdfunding today. Definitely. And you've been doing this for several years now, working at Game on Tabletop. And so you've got a really good understanding of kind of the business and especially from the industry side, the the, the backside of the, the hobby that a lot of people don't get to see and probably shouldn't see. I wouldn't uh, suggest a lot of people jump in there. It's 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 not necessarily the fun part of the gaming hobby. And so I'm really excited just to pick your brain about, you know, why has crowdfunding exploded in popularity? Why has it become so accessible? Why are people doing it? Why they shouldn't do it? Why are people making a lot of mistakes? And what are some things they can do to avoid, you know, these big costly errors? But before we get into that, who are you? How'd you get into the gaming industry and working for Game on Tabletop and all that kind of thing? <laughs> well, those are a lot of different questions and a lot of the stuff about crowdfunding. I think we all have trouble finding the golden answer. But yeah, let's start with uh, with the questions about myself. So I, yeah, I'm i Laura and I've always loved games as a kid. I played every game I had around in the house uh, as much as I could um, and discovered then more elaborate gaming than necessarily like Monopoly <laughs> in my very early teens uh, with uh, Carcassonne, with Settlers of Catan. Um, and really discovered a world uh, <laughs> that was uh, until then unknown to me. And then even later on, discovered Magic the Gathering, RPGs. And yeah, I I basically was lost at that point <laughs> uh, for for the gaming sphere. And so kind of like uh, I, I always was there. One of my dream jobs would be <laughs> to be in that industry. But I was very aware of the fact that it's a difficult industry to get into because it is still a small industry, right? And yeah, then circumstances made it that I was able to help out a publisher uh, on a convention at Essenspiel. And then they just told me, hey, come back next week. And they basically offered me a job. <laughs> so it started as really small, just a couple of days per week, and then turned very quickly into a full-time commitment. And I've been uh, with that company ever since. Uh, so that was back in 2014. Um, and I've done lots of different stuff with them, art direction, production, line management, stuff like that. And then in 2017, I took over the Game on Tabletop project from that company, um, well, it's we're still part of that company, um, but yeah, I'm managing that one now. Uh, most of the time, <laughs> I'm working. Very cool. All right, so let's just dive right in. Let's get a good working definition of crowdfunding. What exactly does that word even mean? Well, if you look at the word, really, it's crowd and funding. So crowd in the sense of a lot of people uh, bringing you funding. Uh, behind that that word are a lot of different things depending on which industry you're talking to because there's equity crowdfunding and then there's uh, personal crowdfunding that you can find like on uh, uh, on GoFundMe where it's like supporting people that are struggling, having medical bills or, or building their own small, tiny personal projects. Um, but I'd say for the tabletop industry, crowdfunding really stands for projects that are made uh, for new games to come up that seek funding that either not necessarily have uh, the funds to actually make that print run happen or might have it, but don't know exactly how many people might be interested and if they could make a better game, if they would have more funding. 
Um, and so it's typically really projects where people say, hey, I have this great new idea. This is the game that should come out um, and you can basically pre-order it now. So in the tabletop sphere, crowdfunding kind of resonates what, much more with a pre-order system, but a pre-order system that is quite elaborated in the sense of you can unlock more stuff, you can get something at a better price, you can live the experience and the adventure with the creator. And then obviously there's also a part uh, of it where people, if they don't hit their funding goal, they don't have the funds to actually produce the game. So it's also really making some dreams happen that wouldn't have otherwise seen seen the light of day. Yeah, absolutely. And just over the last five years, and, and maybe even less than that, crowdfunding has absolutely just exploded in popularity, million, tens and hundreds of millions of dollars even just in the, the board game space alone, let alone all the other you know different things that, that people do crowdfunding campaigns for, uh, several platforms have popped up and as just opportunities for people to uh, get their ideas, their their dream funded, their products funded. You've got Kickstarter, you've got Indiegogo, you've got GameFound now getting into this side of, of the of, of the industry, and then obviously your company Game on Tabletop. And so obviously there, there's people that want to do this both as backers, as people that you know have money and want to buy the thing. But then there's a ton of people, you know, going to these platforms to get their, their games funded. And so why do you think it's so popular? Why do you think it's just, there's just been this explosion of so many people getting into this side of things? Um, so the really interesting part, I think with the whole crowdfunding and tabletop is that it's really one of the industries where it has the most, stable growth it's one of the the biggest categories on many platforms that have multiple categories on their site um i think it kind of like really hits the heart of what people kind of are looking for and for tabletop it has turned into a real alternative sales channel so you have you can do retail sales in stores and then you can have your own online shop where you can sell at a convention and crowdfunding is now also a very strong sales channel. And some companies nowadays even construct their whole um, financial structure, their whole sales strategy around crowdfunding, right? Some of them, it's their main channel. Others, it's just for a couple of games. Um, and I think um, that has, yeah, it's, it's really become something uh, something quite strong obviously like the biggest best sellers out there are still the ones who will sell like yeah in in mass market at target or walmart those are obviously numbers that you might not necessarily hit by being just on crowdfunding but numbers have been ever growing uh, are ever constantly evolving into something very durable um and i think it the one thing that really made it yeah made it something so stable is that people realized that by supporting games from different creators they have much more of a choice to say what's gonna be the next thing that i can actually see on a shelf because before that it was only the companies that were actually able to produce enough quantities that got their games to be on the shelves. And now sometimes when there's a big crowdfunding campaign that raises maybe millions or sells tens of thousands of copies, well, that game can then be overproduced and sometimes will find its way as well to be prominent on those retail shelves and have a, a long lasting success. And I think it, yeah, it's really about, hey, having that impact, being kind of like able to choose what are going to be the games of tomorrow in some parts. And I think that's something that's really great and interesting for a lot of people. And I also think it works very well with tabletop board games because it's not easy to make a game. You have a lot of game development, you have a lot of art production and stuff like that. But like compared to a video game or a tech gadget, it's still much more controlled. It's still in some ways easier because it kind of like know what you have to do to make a great game like components are kind of limited what you can can have to uh, have to do it's not something that has to function technically um and so i think the risk is kind of lower than with some video games tech gadgets or like very elaborate inventions and so it's something that works well uh in a constant stream of new projects coming out yeah absolutely and i think also just the accessibility of board gaming in general, you know, creating a game because it's not crazy expensive. It's not like designing a video game where it's going to cost 
hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not more, you know, if you're, even if you're doing, doing a very small indie project, it's still extraordinarily expensive where you can do a game project and it'd be $5,000, $10,000. And that gets the game, you know, printed, manufactured, all, all that good stuff. And you can get it into people's hands for a relatively low amount of money. And then you, I think it was a perfect storm because you had that accessibility of just kind of the money and the, the barrier to entry in, in board games is a little bit lower, a good bit lower than other creative outlets. But then also you had people like Jamie Stegmeyer and other people online who were just incredible trailblazers showing you behind the curtain and saying, here is the process. Here are the mistakes I've made. Here are the things that I do. Here's my you know day-to-day figuring things out. Here's how I handle shipping and fulfillment. Here's how I do it. And so you had this amazing you know, conglomeration of information. And I, I think the Board Game Design Lab podcast is, is part of that as well. So you had all this information combined with the opportunity and, and people figuring it out. And so I think that's just led to just amazing uh, chances for people now to fund their games. Maybe too many chances. Uh, I think crowdfunding might be a little bit too crowded at the moment for it, for new people to stand out. It's very, very difficult. And I think we can talk about that in just a minute. But what are some of the other aspects as far as like maybe human psychology that crowdfunding really taps into? I think the fear of missing out is something in there that we should probably talk about. So what are some of the other things from maybe a backer's perspective that makes uh, crowdfunding such an interesting uh, thing to get involved with? Um, yeah, so absolutely. I, I, I think I'll concentrate really on the tabletop aspect because obviously that's the niche that I know most. And like I said, crowdfunding is very different depending on the industry that you're in. But I'd say, uh, yeah, it's like you said, for, for the, there are a lot of psychological uh, reasons to fear of missing out, but there's also a lot instead of having it just be the fear, it's also a lot about the reward, uh, about the, the fact to have something uh exclusive something um, great something you might not have had otherwise um, I think a lot is about the object that's why you can see um, a lot of crowdfunding campaigns in the tabletop industry builds up on a beautiful product not ob- obviously it's not the only factor that counts and not every just beautiful project will function but I think we are lived today in a society where a lot of people are kind of disconnected from physical things a lot of things are happening on the internet are happening on video games and stuff like that and and receiving a box with amazing content with like a physical product that can be unboxed that can be felt that can be that can be used is something really extraordinary and I think that, that appeals to a lot of people and then there's obviously the fact also to be a part of that story to be part of an experience it's on different levels like you talked about jamie uh, and how he let people really take a peek behind the curtains and not every creator does it as much um but all kind of do to some extent let alone through like having stretch goals and and kind of listening to what backers might be saying as well what recommend recommendations recommendations pardon they might have um and so that kind of like really creates a story i can remember crowdfunding campaigns that i supported as a backer and there was so much community building and exchange with the creators that i kind of like always yeah it's a memory that i'm fond of and every time i pull out that game i kind of think about that (laughs) and i think that's something that's true for a lot of other people as well um, so that's one part that makes this also a more special occasion than just going into a store and buying something from a vendor and there your store is basically with the retailer, not with the creator, which is a very different thing, I think. So and then there's obviously I think <laughs> I think the time will tell uh, obviously more about the psychological state of backers and what kind of triggers some of these like uh yeah, instant purchases and uh, the people that go all in on with some high amounts on some on some different um, campaigns. And I think there are a lot of reasons that get into that. But I'm definitely sure that a lot of the fact that you get something amazing out there most of the time is is yeah is a big factor. And I I do think that a part of it is also the feeling to actually. Yeah, to actually make a choice and make a difference in, uh, hey, yeah, I'm funding the project of that creator because I want to support that creator. Whether or not it's a tiny indie creator or it's a huge company, but you can also make that choice and saying, I'm backing the project of that huge company because I love what they're doing and I kind of want them to continue to go. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think a lot of it really boils down to relationship, you know, and and these people online have built incredible relationships with their backers. And so you don't feel like just someone buying a thing. You feel like you're part of a community. You feel like you're part of a team that's bringing this this project to life, that's helping 
this person have a company or whatever. And as I think that definitely plays into it, you know, as, as humans, we are very relationship oriented. That's one of the main things that kind of drives us. And so when you have a relationship with that company, even if you don't really even know the people there, or if you do probably even, uh, it makes it you know even more so the case that you want to be part of what they're doing through a crowdfunding campaign. Now, if you're a designer and you've got a game and you really like it and you play tested it a bunch and you put a lot of time and effort into designing and developing it, I, I, I feel like there's just a handful of options in front of you and let's kind of go through those and then it'll lead into crowdfunding and then we can talk about the why and why not of, you know, should you do this, uh, making that decision. But if you've, got, if you've got a game, you've really got a handful of options. You could just have it for you and your family or your friends. And I've got several games that I've designed that no one will ever see them other than my kids because I made those games for my kids and we just play them and they're fun. And that's and there's nothing wrong with that. So that's one option. You could do a print-on-demand kind of thing like the Game Crafter or there's several other services online where you can put your game up and people can uh, buy it and it just prints off one at a time. Nothing wrong with that. It's a great way to do it. I know a lot of companies that, that do that and do that exclusively. You could pitch your game to a publisher and let them take the reins and you make a percentage of the sales and let you let them handle all the craziness of the business and the shipping and all that kind of thing. Or you could do a crowdfunding campaign. And I think those are really the four options. For, maybe there's others. But as far as crowdfunding, why would somebody want to do this? I've done 10 or 11 campaigns, I can, something like that at this point. And it's, it's a lot of work. It takes a lot of effort, a lot of energy, a lot of money, a lot of ripping your hair out because things just don't go your way. And so Laura, tell me why in the world a person would want to do this. For me, like I was talking about how backers are kind of there for the adventure and the experience and the roller coaster ride. And I think creators should be too. <laughs> but the adventure is going to be a bit different because they're going to have to embrace the entirety of crowdfunding. Like I said, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of knowledge that you need to gather or you need to gather people around you that can take some of that, that can bring some of the knowledge and take some of the work off of you. Um, but there are people who are really excited as well by the adventure. So that might be a very first reason. It might be about, um, I uh, I want to create something that can be out there, but I also want to be there at every different step. I really want to see it evolve. It's, it's the same for general entrepreneurship, right? It's you want to build that thing up. That can be a very strong reason. And it's also the reason that's going to give you the most of control, also the most of responsibility, because if it doesn't work out or something messes up, well, it's going to be, you, you're going to have to deal with that as well. But on the other hand, if it does work out, um, you can make the game that you wanted and you can build it the way you want, you imagined it. So I think that should be the number one motivation to do a crowdfunding campaign, to be ready to go, go all in and, and just do it, right? It's not necessarily the only one people have. Some people just really want to see their game be released and they don't find a publisher and they might go the crowdfunding way. And then it often comes down to the type of person they are, whether or not they, even if it's not like their big dream, still manage to to hold up on all the, the rest of like the, yeah, the hard work and the, all the management and fulfillment and stuff and production. Um, and they kind of like make it work or whether it kind of can transform into something more of a disaster if they're not ready to take that on. And that's, for instance, when I talk to publishers, a lot is what I kind of try to figure out. It's one of the very first questions that we'll ask them is like, okay, why do you want to do a crowdfunding, right? figure out your number one reason why you're doing a crowdfunding campaign. And then a lot of them will come there. Oh yeah. I'm just like really excited. And I want to be there at every step and every, every element. And then there's some who are just there. I just want my game to be out. And I, I hate communicating with people and I <laughs> hate doing marketing and I'm really bad at numbers and I'm, I'm really bad at fulfillment and I don't want to recruit a team around me. And I'm like, Hey, you, you should really find a publisher because he will take off all of that and you will you will be able to design your games and make them happen, um, but not have to do deal with all the, all, all the other stuff. Um, so I think it's very important to understand why you're launching. There are a ton of additional personal reasons that will go into there, but kind of like the basic motivation is, are you ready for that adventure? <laughs> Or are you not? Um, it, and it's kind of like the same. Like there are some people that 
will maybe never become a crowdfunding backer because they're not there for the adventure. They're not there for the fact that, oh, there's a delay and I have to wait. Um, it's not their way of functioning and it's not what they enjoy. <laughs> they don't get a kick out of it. And so they're probably never really going to be crowdfunding backers or repeat backers because they prefer a store experience or something in that sense. And it's it, it's kind of the same for, for project managers. You have to be ready for the adventure. Yeah, absolutely. I think adventure is a big part of that. Also, I would say if you're pondering, should I run a crowdfunding campaign? Why would I do this? I think because you want to run a business. It has to be maybe number one, number two. It doesn't even matter if you, like, do you really want to run a business? Well, maybe, maybe not. Like, you need to decide because that's what you're going to be doing. You are now a business, assuming the project funds. If it doesn't fund, then you don't have to worry about it because no money is probably changing hands anyway. Uh, but if you're successful, now you're a business and now you have a, a pretty decent chunk of money in a bank account and a whole bunch of people expecting you to deliver the thing that they bought. And you're going to have to be dealing with setting up, you know, hopefully you've already done this, but setting up your, your company as far as with the government and figuring out the taxes and all that. You're going to have to figure out you know, paying people and freelancers and everything that goes along with that. You got to figure out with, with artists and graphic designers. And now you got to, you know, uh, send money to manufacturers and, and work with fulfillment companies and the, with all the shipping. There's so many things you have to do now that are pretty much just straight up business. And it doesn't matter what industry you're in, business is business when it comes to, I've got this amount of money, here's my budget, I've got to buy these materials and these supplies and pay for all this stuff and put it all together and eventually send a product to the people who bought it. And if you're not ready for that, then take a step back. Be patient. I feel like a lot of people, they see these massive numbers on Kickstarter and they go, oh, I could do that. I can, I can make $100,000. You know, they see Frosthaven making what, $13 million in a crowdfunding campaign. You're like, oh, you know, I could do that. No, you can't. Like, you, you probably can't. Like, just, let's just be totally honest. You probably can't right now if you think you can. Like, it's, it's the people that... <laughs> so take a step back. Like you were saying, Laura, find some people that you can put on your team to bring around you to help you figure all these things out that will fill your gaps and they will be strengths to your weaknesses and all those things. And so I, I would say that's number one. If you want to run a business, then that's a good reason why to jump into crowdfunding. Also control, like you said, you know, you get to control this whole process as far as what the art's going to look like and who the manufacturer is and all that stuff. You get to control it at the same time you have the responsibility of controlling it. So make sure you're, you're ready for that. You know, but you get all the profits too, in theory, right? Assuming your crowdfunding campaign makes money, which a lot don't. And I think that's something we need to be honest about. And I want to ask your opinion about that in here in just a second, as far as the, the money side of things and what you've seen. But as a designer, you're going to make 6%, 8%, maybe, maybe a little more than that uh, for each game sold, but that's it. And the publisher is going to make the lion's share of the money on, on everything. At the same time, they have all the costs. They have all the risk. And so that's also something to, to think about as far as that goes. Because it's not like, well, if you're a designer and you make 8%, then the publisher makes 92%. No, that is not even close to <laughs> that is not even close to accurate because everything costs money when it comes to marketing and printing and all that kind of stuff. But tell me what you've seen uh, in some, maybe in some of your conversations with people, especially things that didn't turn out well, where someone, they made a good bit of money on your platform, but then ended up going in the hole, maybe having to take out a loan just to you know finish out the project and get the game into backers hands so what are maybe some of the uh, reasons uh, some of the things that someone should be thinking about when pondering should i do this why would i do this um so obviously if you're if you're doing your crowdfunding campaign if you're preparing to launch a project it's it's nearly impossible to kind of like secure everything and to be perfect at everything. It's way easier if you have your team around you. Like I always say, try to be like four people because between four people, you can have a lot of different skills and uh, and and it, it takes out a lot of the risk. But even if you're four people or more people or a big company, uh, it doesn't take out all the risk and you can see it with even big companies failing to deliver what they promised. Um, what I can say is that I rarely see like a pattern that kind of like really leads to a failure, apart from some elements that at least in my work, we kind of like try to also catch in advance. So I've, I've refused a couple of projects, not a lot, but a couple of projects where I could feel like their funding goal and their ambition was not matching up with the efforts that I've pulled, put into community building, with the quality of the visuals that they were presenting, the outreach that they had, the coverage that they had about their gameplay. Um, when these things don't match up, 
uh, when there's not not that magic sauce, <laughs> at least at the at the beginning, where you kind of feel like, okay, this this can work out. Um, those are things that we try to kind of catch early and we try to talk with creators about that. And either it sometimes works out that we, we get into that discussion and we find a better way for them to, yeah, quote things differently, think about things differently, build something something new up and build something more stronger. Or sometimes they're not enough open. And I've seen those people then eventually fail in some way or, way or another, not necessarily on our platform then, but but in another way that they tried it because they're not necessarily open enough to see um, that they have to adapt and that those numbers that you see, uh, whether it's Frost Haven or Kingdom Death or whichever of those other big, huge successes out there, um, they are not... Uh, they're on one end, not just just a coincidence and they're they're connected with a lot of hard work or very talented people uh, and people that have connections or have a very good ambassador stuff like that generally there are stuff that 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 work together and bring them out there and not every game is to be in that position and i think that's the first realization that people need to have need to be there okay um it would be awesome if my game <laughs> raises those amounts of money and maybe it will but maybe it won't and define what success is for you design what success is and what is failure when i talk to project managers i always tell them okay tell me in like very logical <laughs> mathematical senses uh at which number would you say it is a success? Which number do you have to reach minimum to have it be considered your a success? Which is the lowest number, right? Um, in, in terms of funds, and which would be the number uh, that you would associate with a failure? And the same is uh, for backer numbers, like how many backers do you want to have? How much? How many people do you have to have there? And then go from there. And it's 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 kind of funny because people like always are thinking about the highest number that they might want to reach because that's that's the thing that we're gonna grab. That's the that's the goal is to go as high as possible. But define what is the lowest success. You're still feeling super happy with it, and that's a good basis that you can can build upon. Um, and so it often depends about the openness of people. Are they able and capable and willing to talk with you about that and to kind of look at things? I'm not here to tell them how to do. I'm not here to tell them how they're going to have success i'm here to kind of like challenge some of their uh of their thoughts and uh trying to build about that and generally people that are open to that can modify and adjust um they build a more stable base for their their project and i think that's healthy i think that's good now it doesn't prevent you from still failing for some of the reasons there can be a lot of different reasons uh even like if you consider a, de a delayed uh, delivery uh, as a failure. Like, I mean, I know of people that have had their games on a container that sank uh, or had their printer have the roof collapse. And so, I mean, there can be a lot of reason that may uh, or may not lead to failure eventually. Um, what I can see is that a lot of those people, that it's very rarely something intentional and it's very rarely something that cannot be undone so it happens there are projects that fail where people never deliver there are maybe even projects where people run off with the money i don't know if, right where how how that comes to happen but it does happen very occasionally it's very very few number of projects and a lot of other projects when they fail if they have a way to kind of like work out that, get help, uh, find a new solution, they generally will do whatever it takes. So we have been able to work with some publishers that were struggling in some situations. We were able to connect them with people or um, to kind of like figure out we've already like accepted different payment terms for them so they don't have uh, our uh, game on commission hit hit as quickly like right and so then they took those occasions and the people that branched out and reached out um and they built about, upon that and it took a while sometimes it took a year right for them to reconstruct and rebuild but always with the focus okay let's deliver our backers and let's make that happen so over the years what i'd say is that sometimes i was like there okay well, that company seems to be doing not so well and I'm not sure they're going to deliver. I'm not gonna, sure they're going to 
fulfill everything they're promised. And then over time, you kind of see them uh, grappling, grappling together everything they have in them and building something up again and actually managing to get out there. And I think that's something that's really incredible and sh shows a lot about the passion that is in our industry because um, people are very aware of failure and most people want to avoid failure as much as they can um, and really want to make make a delivery and a fulfillment in the best sense possible. Obviously, it's not everyone. It's not a hundred percent of the people that that are going to be in that sol solution. And there are pre projects that fail. But what I'd say is that the yeah the motivation is there most of the time, and it's something that you should be aware of if you want to launch. Is maybe there's something coming up that you didn't think about, or maybe you miscalculated something yourself, um, and maybe you were in a in a big mess at some point, um, but. Try to find solutions. Try to find solutions. There are solutions out there. Backers can be your best allies out there as well. Because if you sometimes just tell them something is going wrong, maybe somebody will even come up with a solution and reach out to you and, and help you get back on track. And so don't give up too quickly. Try to make it work. And it's definitely worth it. I've seen companies that were on the brink of total failure and bankruptcy that managed to get back on track and they're now flourishing better than before and they have built a stronger community than before. So that maybe would be my point of view on that question. Gotcha. And I think you, you made a really good point as far as having realistic expectations. Don't go into your campaign thinking you're going to have 10,000 backers, especially if you're brand new. If this is your first or second campaign, the odds are you're going to have maybe 300. And that's just the reality of things. And now I hope for the best. I really hope you have a campaign and it does amazing. At the same time, it, that might be worse than barely funding because I've seen success ruin a lot of people and put a lot of people into debt and bankruptcy because they miscalculated one little thing and then they had 10,000 backers and that one little thing became multiplied by 10,000. And now it's a really massive thing and they can't deliver the game or they don't have enough money or whatever it is. And so I think, you know, having realistic expectations, starting small and being good with that, being okay with small campaigns early on, because you're going to go through a lot of growing pains. You're going to have a lot to learn to figure out how to do this well. And so there's nothing wrong with starting off more humbly and then hopefully leading into, you know, down the road, some bigger campaigns that bring in more backers and more money, but you got to be careful. Now, as far as let's, let's jump into like reward levels and different, like more specifics about the cam campaigns. Uh, tell me about reward levels and what you've seen works well. Is there a, a certain number that is too many or too few? Is there certain thresholds? Like you, you want to make sure to have a dollar level. You want to make sure to have a hundred dollar level, all those kinds of things. What have you seen in your experience? So my very first advice on reward levels would be the less, the better. For me, um, I kind of like to try to look at it. Well, what in the end you're doing in a crowdfunding campaign is a sale. It's a pre-sale, but it is a sale nevertheless. And kind of like for a sale, you you have to make it as easy as possible for people to make their choices. So if you're presented, it's like within Pokemon, right? You have your three starter Pokemons and that's already a tough choice. <laughs> it's already taking up a lot of time. You have these three different elements and you kind of have like, okay, I think uh, electricity is is going to be my my best partner here, right? I'm taking the, the electric Pokemon. Um, imagine if you would have 10, 15 Pokemons to choose from, right? When you're launching the game for the first time, that's a lot. And the same is true for crowdfunding for me. If you have one uh, reward level that contains like the PDF version of the the print uh, print and play, uh, then you have another one which uh, contains the print version, and you have one version with the print and the expansion, and then like, and you have all those different choices. Um, you are there, and I'm like, I don't know where to start. However, if you have three choices, you really li you likely have one really cheap one, let's say, say $10, and then you have another one, it's like $50, and then you have a really big one, it's like $150 because it's the all-exclusive limited edition or whatnot. And then you can just simply say, okay, I have a budget of $60, so $150 is too much, $50 is close, so I'm going to take the $50, right? And it's a really simple <laughs> decision to make. And that's the first decision that you're doing. And then you click on that and you basically, you're already in the checkout process and you're 
basically committed, even if you if you still have the payment steps and stuff like that to go through. But you've made that decision and it, a decision, and you're already way more in there. Now, then again, it also will depend on the type of platform because some platforms are more have more limitations than that. We don't game on. Obviously, we then we have different steps. Like you can have the reward level at the beginning, and then later on you go through the add-ons, and so you can add on as much stuff as you want. So you can still like um, encourage more sales. But at least the person has already made their first choice and is kind of like already committed. And so if they don't want additional stuff, they will just go to the checkout. But if then they're kind of like tempted because this looks cool, that looks cool, they'll add more to their cart. Um, and you will see that also with people that then come back later on in the project, they mostly come back to add more stuff. Some of them will maybe pull out, but most of them will come back to, to take more stuff because they're like, hmm, I've already so committed to that in some kind of way. Uh, I'll just stick with it, but maybe I'll add something more. So I'd say the less is more because it makes it easier for people to get into it and to understand this is the offer that fits me, that fits my budget and fits what I'm looking for. Uh, yeah, so that would be about reward levels. I think my biggest, my biggest recommendations, my big, biggest advice, advice in there. And then, um, like typically the one dollar ones, I think that's something that comes from Kickstarter because it, on one end, allows you to um, follow the project, uh, and it also allows you to access sometimes a pledge management system or a late pledge system. Uh, on other platforms, you don't necessarily have that need. I don't think it's necessarily adding something because it kind of gives, gives it the choice of, hmm, I'm finally not committing right away. I'm just giving a dollar. It also aggregates people that you can still re reach out to. But yeah, I don't think it's absolutely something that you need to have. I know other people are out there not believe, yeah, not believing in the same thing, which is totally fine. I don't think it's something that's adding something to your product. I think what's always important is understand what you're selling. Are you selling your game or your expansion? Are you selling both? Or are you selling the t-shirt design like, right? Sometimes it's very difficult to understand what is the main product. And that's actually the thing that you should make um, the most capital information. And so pulling people to what you want to sell them, for me, is crucial because it's great to sell them additional merch. But in the end, you're funding your game. And you should make that the, the biggest focus. Right. I think this is definitely the case when sometimes content creators are like, oh, let's have a T-shirt or oh, let's do an enamel pin. Or they start adding all these like secondary or even tertiary ideas to their campaigns as add-ons or other things to put in the box or, or for people to buy. And it really kind of dilutes your main products. And it's also a lot more to deal with from the business side of things. You know, dealing with t-shirts is now a whole nother side of things because the manufacturer that's printing your game probably isn't printing your t-shirts and maybe, but probably not. And so I think that's something else to be aware of is like, don't try to overdo it. Don't try to have too many things going on. One, like you said, right off the bat, it's, like, it's confusing. There's too much. There's too many things. And so keep it limited, keep it clear, keep it focused. And along these same lines, let's talk about stretch goals. Stretch goals are something that, that kind of came out of the board gaming space. I feel like I don't know of other industries that did stretch goals before the board gaming side of things. I think now a lot of people do it uh, where the game has overfunded. I needed 10 grand, but now I've made 30 grand. And so because I've got this extra money, I can print more copies of the game. And that means my manufacturing cost per unit goes down, which gives me a little bit extra room to maybe add something else in there, add some more cards or, or upgrade the components in some way or do some really fun, cool things. And so tell me about stretch goals. Tell me what you've seen, what works, what is not a good idea, anything you have from your experience. The number, number one thing I think about stretch goals is that I'd say, yeah, 80 to 90% of uh, campaigns that you see out there, most of the time now, they kind of pre-calculate their stretch goals, which is a good thing to do. So kind of figure out, uh, in the best case, my game would look like that. And then you kind of like scale it down to uh, reduce the cost in case you don't reach your absolute um, highest goal that you could imagine because obviously then you wouldn't have the funds to produce that game that might be so amazing but you still already like plan it from the start and I think that's a good thing to do because the better you plan the better your final product is gonna be and the less management you will have like you said and um, so I think that, so that's kind of like a given and I see a lot of creators um, functioning that way now so that's something that I kind of feel is has become a norm 
there are still obviously then additional sometimes it just goes way beyond that number and then people will add an additional stuff and i think that's fine um i kind of feel like nearly every creator will go through a campaign where they just go overboard and they will just over promise and then it will realize oh this is a lot of stuff to produce and then some of them manage it better than others but uh maybe it's part of the experience right it's really it's so much emotion and so much passion that goes into that it's really difficult to say stop and say uh, okay we're not adding that um foiled glitter t-shirt uh, of the uh, of every different character that we have in our game right because it's just gonna be a complicated mess to handle um but uh yeah so that's that's kind of like lining it out trying to restrict and also being able to say this was the final stretch goal okay we have two weeks left on our campaign we're not gonna unlock an additional content for the game however there can also be some creative ideas that are way less complicated to produce or to manage um, and that I always encourage people to still add because it's still added value like it could be uh, content creation like they could say because you're still raising more money money than you're anticipated you will have a bit more a leeway of money that you can spend you could say hey if we reach that amount we will have a high quality let's play video produced with x content creator and so it kind of like feels, it's not something that you physically add to your box, but it's something that actually adds a lot of value for people because then they will have a high quality uh, Let's Play video. If I mean, a lot of creators have those, for instance, available upfront, but not all have because some of them also cost money if you want something really high quality. Um, and so not everybody has the, the means to just invest that and into every game. So this could be something that, that goes on or in, this, in a similar sphere, like, okay, we will work with X streamer and he will play the game or the campaign or something like that. And it can be lots of things like that, digital elements or um, yeah, more outright, outreach, more presence, uh, funny little events that you might be doing in con conventions when you're present anyway, uh, without necessarily adding a lot of production cost. I think those are kind of smart ideas to add, to not get too overwhelmed. And then obviously my number one advice would be, and that's kind of true about all of crowdfunding. Crowdfunding is about innovation. Um, crowdfunding is something really, really recent compared to most other sales channels. It's not something that has been around long and it has worked very well because of in innovation, because of the first creators that went out there, that tried new stuff, because of the first miniature game uh, crowdfunding campaigns that dance the world that open up a whole uh yeah a whole highway of miniature game crowdfunding campaigns later on that did incredibly well um and i think innovation is your strongest ally and it sometimes can be in every sense it can be that your campaign doesn't have stretch goals and that kind of is the innovation i mean it's something that we see more and more but the first people who didn't do stretch goals then kind of were like the the weird people oh they're doing something very different and kind of sometimes can be something that works out really well and puts puts you in the focus and stretch goals are a great way to do something yeah really amazing that nobody else did before and that works really well with your game and that works into that we're telling a story we're living an experience and adventure together absolutely and you know some of the reasons why you might want to have them are like you said it creates more adventure creates more excitement creates a little bit more of the fear of missing out which you got to be careful as a creator as a business person not to abuse mm -hmm. that not to abuse people's psychology and you know i feel like there's some companies that, that they've built their entire business model on abusing fomo and i'm, <laughs> I'm not a big fan of that and, and, and you know it's just my opinion but you know that's something i want people to be aware of and, and think about as far as you know being ethical and things like that. Uh, but stretch goals are an amazing way to Im improve the quality of your game, make it a better experience, make it more interesting, make the, the make it stand out more on the table, things like that. At the same time, there's a lot of companies that have made really big mistakes with stretch goals and it caused the game to weigh too much and now the shipping went way up or the production cost went way up or the time that it takes to do all these extra things now extended the timeline of the game actually getting two backers by six months or a year or more. I mean, things are, are crazy sometimes and you just have to weigh weigh all of the options, weigh all the costs, weigh all the benefits and decide, okay, what am, what am I going to do? And I would highly, highly recommend that you figure out 
what you're going to do for stretch goals long before the campaign launches. And don't be midway through it and somebody throws you an idea and you're like, oh yeah, let's do that. And then it costs you 20 grand extra that you weren't anticipating. And so be aware of stretch goals going in. Not that you can't listen to backers and, and do things mid-campaign, but be very, very careful, very very patient, very wary of those kinds of things. Uh, let's, uh, let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about pledge management because I know Game on Tabletop, you offer pledge management services along with the crowdfunding campaign and, and experience and that kind of thing. So what exactly is a pledge manager and why is it important for your company to integrate it into the process as a whole? Um, so a pledge manager, pledge managers originated because of the lack of functionalities of most common crowdfunding platforms out there in the sense of that those platforms were built to be a space where people generally donate that's why on kickstarter it's called a pledge because you pledge to support that project um and it's they're not plat they're not management platforms like where, where they come from they're platforms uh to just um bring in the crowd and bring in the funds like it's a crowdfunding platform and not a a funding management platform in some sort of sort of way but obviously the more it evolved and especially in the tabletop industry well the more people were offering X amount of different choices and then um, add-ons and physical items and not just donations and not just pledges. It's lots of different elements. And so those were not, you couldn't manage those on the existing platforms. And so pledge managers emerged really uh, external services uh, that it would, you would use only for that. So you'd basically pull out the information that you rate from, from the platform you raised your funds on, um, which are very limited, which were like the email address and like the basic selection they made and the, and the total funds that they inserted, and then use a external service to actually figure out, okay, what different items did they really want to buy and how much shipping are they going to pay and stuff like that. So things have obviously a lot evolved over time. Now, even even big big platforms like Kickstarter implement more different features, even though it's still not a management platform and you still need a pledge manager if you have high scale projects. Um, now, for Game On, um, Game On was built uh, by Black Book Editions, which is a French RPG publisher, and they wanted to do their own crowdfunding campaigns back in 2013, pardon, when um, when crowdfunding started out, but in France, there was no Kickstarter available yet. There were some other platforms, but they didn't add anything in addition to that. So BlackRock, they were like, hey, we're just going to build our own thing. And so they built it right from the startup with tabletop games in mind because they built it from them for themselves basically and so they were like okay what we want to have is a platform where people can pledge we don't want to spend most of the time managing stuff we know it's going to be like a pre-order um and we want to have access to all the data about what we sold uh where do we have to ship and all those things we want them condensed and available right from the start and so they built that and um and then back then I was working with Black Petitions and they launched the first English language project and that was launching on Kickstarter because obviously their platform was only in French. And it's only then when I realized oh, that Flatter Managers existed, it's only then when I realized that there are sites out there that don't have everything built in. And then actually I was running a crowdfunding campaign and I did not know exactly how many items of each single product I've been selling because I've been doing pledges, but a same item could be in different pledges and then there were add-ons and people could not buy add-ons they could just add additional funds and um, i was like okay and now i'm waiting for a pledge manager period that i have to set up all over again and it's only then that i will actually know what i've sold and for me that was really really weird feeling right <laughs> i'm a very like organized person and i like to have kind of like a a view about how stuff is going and it's kind of like okay okay this is a bit more <laughs> open than than i imagined this experience to be in the end and and so really uh for game on it was just the logical way to do it but also because it has been done right from the start about doing tabletop pre-orders and platforms like kickfarter did not originate that way um, and they have their own proper history and their own needs and um and so they are built differently but that's the reason why game on includes it directly is because it's what makes most sense for our industry it 
there might be some advantages of having like a late pledge period and stuff like that. But those are still things that you can do on a platform that integrates everything from the beginning. And on the same time, I also think um, that those features fit the tabletop industry really well, but might not fit another element, another industry as importantly. I'm not sure uh, pledge managers are as important for all of the industries. I know there are for some of the other ones, but for some others, they just don't need all of that hassle. Um, but yeah, tabletop industries, uh, yeah, they're, I'd say uh, at least 80% of the projects are using a pledge manager later on. Um, it can be their own website. It can be a, an external service. It can even be game on. We are also serving as a, just a, a pledge manager. People need it, need to. But uh, yeah, it, it's kind of filling the gap of organization and management. Um, yeah, and it's kind of like when we talked about uh, how to calculate your stretch goals and stuff like that. It's... I feel teams need a person that's there for that. They need an operations person that handles stuff like that. Uh, and a project also needs a technical side of that. And either need a pledge management solution built into the platform or they need an external pledge manager who will then be able to, yeah, to figure out all the details of the actual costs. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. All right, let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about marketing. What have you noticed uh, works well as far as the video or the campaign page or leading up to the campaign? Because I think this is another thing for people to really think through is like, why am I doing this? Uh, am I ready to go six months marketing this thing or a year marketing this campaign and, and leading up to it, right? So starting a year from the campaign launch date. I feel like a lot of people are like, "Oh, I want to go to kick, I want to go to crowdfunding right now and do this thing." It's like, "Yeah, but you got to build an audience. You got to build a crowd, and that takes time and it takes effort and it takes money." And so that's something to definitely think about as far as the why or why not of doing this. And so tell me what you've seen works well or what are some best practices? There's no magic sauce. Sometimes projects overperform for a reason that nobody expected. And sometimes you do everything right in marketing and it still doesn't work. But obviously there are best practices, like you said. Uh, like you said, the number one part is your audience. Um, and your audience for me has like different levels. Uh, part of your audience are your very close friends, family, those are part of your audience because uh, you should be excited enough to get at least some of them on board as well. And actually, even if they're not like tens of thousands of people, if there, uh, if there are 10, 20 people, but they're there and they're there at the launch of your project, that's already great. But then obviously, if you want to build a bigger project, uh, you should build a bigger audience and that's and that's what's going to be important. I think a great way to build an audience is for crowdfunding is to be very genuine to share your story to be out there to to reach out to the people it's a great way like when you're starting off from nowhere well go out there talk to people talk to other publishers but also talk to backers create a group about your about your game share stuff about that share about the process build that hype up and then obviously there are lots of other uh, more more normal ways of marketing that are also very effective like Obviously, Facebook ads work out well. Uh, some content creators can bring a, bring in a lot of views to you as well. Um, but it's it's a bit of everything that needs to come together so that it really works out. And for me, the yeah, the most important part is that audience that you will have and potentially the ambassadors that you will have that will go out there from themselves and say, hey, that project just launched. Um, oh, yeah, this looks really cool and amazing. It needs to be out there. And if you don't manage to get people to talk about it, then you have to dig deeper and say, am I am I talking to them in the correct way? Or is this game interesting enough for them? Because that's going to be one of the biggest leverages. And then if you have that crowd and if that crowd supports you and if they're there day one, they're, they're able to transform your project from just a success into a huge success, into going beyond what you actually manage, imagined. Because they were there day one, they created the hype with you and that will attract more people. Right. And I think another thing for people to realize is that with crowdfunding, people aren't buying your game. They're buying the idea of your game because they haven't played it. They haven't seen it. All, they, all they've seen are the pretty pictures of it and what the cover looks like and the cars laid out on the table maybe or a preview video or something like that. But they have no actual real knowledge of the game unless maybe they played it at a convention or you were doing some play tests. Or yeah, okay, a handful of people. But in general, they're buying the idea. And when you're selling an idea, your marketing needs to look really good because it doesn't matter how good the game looks or how good the game is, if the marketing doesn't look good, if the game doesn't look good in 
on the page or through the videos or whatever, it's not going to do nearly as well if it does well at all. So I think marketing is something really to think about building an audience. Like I said earlier, crowdfunding has gotten very, very crowded. And so you really need to build a pretty substantial audience going in if you want to have uh, success. And so I think that's something just to put a lot of time and effort into is, is figuring out why or why not I'm going to do this. Well, am I ready to build an audience? Am I ready to be available? Am I ready to do customer service? Goodness gracious, I feel like a giant chunk of my week every week now is customer service responding to emails. Hey, I didn't get my book. Hey, I didn't get my game. Hey, when's this coming out? When is this ship? Hey, oh, I need to change my shipping address over and over and over again. So when you're thinking through why or why not, just realize you're going to get into a lot of customer service and it's going to take up a lot of your time that maybe you normally would spend designing games or doing fun things that you really enjoy. Now you're going to have to respond to emails and some people aren't super kind in those emails that they send for your customer service reasons. So I think that's something else to, to uh, take into account. Well, Laura, this, is, uh, this has been excellent. What else? What have we left out? What are some other things that people need to be thinking about as far as why or why not? I think that we could go on and on and on about crowdfunding. There is still so much to uh, to know um, and to talk about and so much that's interesting. I think uh, for me to kind of pull it down, the number th one things we have talked about is figure out your reason why you want to do crowdfunding. Don't just do it because it's the other ones are doing it, right? <laughs> do it because you want to do it and you want to go into that adventure. Figure out what is the product that you're doing. Don't think about, I'm doing a product and a t-shirt and, and a pin and I'm doing all these other things. No, what is your number one product? You can add as much stuff as you want to, obviously. Uh, feel free, make, make something cool, make something fun. But you need to understand that that decision. And, um, and yeah, and then innovate. Think about how you can stay out, stay, stand out. You talked about how it's crowded. It's true. It's very, very crowded. And still, projects continue to perform incredibly well. Um, but it's difficult to stand out, obviously, because there are a lot of people. There's also more people looking for that. And the more you innovate, the more, more you, you challenge uh, the way it's just constantly done, the more I think you can you can build on that and maybe you find the secret that fits you and your company and will make the difference to make it a real big success and a durable success because yeah it's not about having raising lots of funds and then not managing to fulfill your project it's about building something that can carry you maybe over years uh, maybe the rest of your life right um, so yeah for me that would be figure out why figure out what and figure out how you can innovate and how you can stand out. Absolutely. Now, as far as closing thoughts, what would you say to maybe encourage someone who is thinking about doing this? You know, maybe they have a game that they've been working on for a long time and they have pitched it to publishers, maybe it didn't work out, or maybe they're just like, Hey, I want to do this all myself. And they're a little bit overwhelmed. What would you say to encourage them to really figure out why or why not to do this? Um, I'd say to that person that a lot of people that were actually very successful sometimes started out really small. Some of the big campaigns that you see out there obviously are done from big established publishers, but there are also a couple out there that initially were like one person having a dream, right? And so it could be you. Uh, it could be you. It could not be. So you have to be aware about that, like we talked about it earlier. But don't feel that starting out small and just starting somewhere is a bad thing. It's still starting somewhere, and it's it's what might be might be the first step of a journey, and it might also be the first step of a journey that you would later say, "Oh, I don't want to go further." But that's okay uh, because you're living that experience and adventure, and it's totally okay to then decide whether to go beyond or stop there. And then the other best advice, advice I could get is find someone who shares that with you. Either you find some people that really build a team with you because it's always better to be multiple people or at least find people in this industry that are going to support you. Like, I mean, obviously we at Game On, we support product managers, but there's also a lot of other people. You could listen to podcasts like this one. You can go to the different Facebook groups that are out there find people uh, that you can share that bad experience with and also your fears and your struggles uh, because don't don't stay just stuck with them behind it. There are a lot of solutions out there and probably somebody else has already encountered a similar issue and might give you some words of encouragement and that's always the strongest you can find. Awesome. Well, Laura, we've talked about it here and there as far as Game on Tabletop, the company that you work for. As we 
as we close out, give me like the, the two minute elevator pitch for why people should check out your crowdfunding platform. Well, we at Game on Tabletop, like I said earlier, we are a crowdfunding platform that's dedicated to tabletop games. It's what we know best. It's what we love most. Um, and we've dedicated everything about that into that. And also we try with everything that we can achieve to build new solutions to figure out even more of the issues that that might might still be apart from tabletop crowdfunding right now. And also we try to provide already as much as possible different elements uh, to help you make it easier to have more time sp to spend game designing uh, and engaging with your community and have some of the, the very annoying um, tasks being automized. So yeah, we are excited to support new creators. We are excited to be at your site. I'm very personally honored to be a, a supporting all of those creator and I'd be happy to uh, to help out anybody else who listens to this and who might have any questions or might learn or might want to learn more very cool Laura really appreciate your time really appreciate you coming on the show good luck with game on tabletop and everything else you got going on right now awesome thank you so much for having me Gabe it was a pleasure thanks for listening hosting for the board game design lab podcast is sponsored by quartermaster logistics the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?